Hello, my name is Tate Cornell, and I'm from Washington, and my parents won't let me listen to I Doubt It With All More because he f***ing cusses too much. <laughs> the following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. Thank you for joining us yet again for your 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 twice weekly source for news. News. And ridiculous comment. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore, episode 102. I am your host, Jesse Dalamore. And sitting across from me, wishing she was somewhere else, my lovely, talented, and intelligent co-host, Brittany Page. Yeah, I just wish I was having like a movie day or something. Like like Brett and Lisa? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, let me explain. Um, my my best friend and his wife, he both who have been on the show before, Lisa, his wife, was raised in a very, very conservative Christian household, and she went to a one of those Christian schools you read about that I don't know that they really taught that dinosaurs and humans lived together, but it was one of those schools. But they probably did. Right, right. So, I mean, they, they showed the Flintstones as a historical document. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so because of that upbringing, she missed out on watching movies, awesome, awesome movies, Die Hard, you know, E.T., classic cinema when we were kids. Right. And Brittany longs for that. She wishes Sundays could be dedicated strictly to movies. Yes, especially given the amazing films that they are watching. No. Like uh, Overboard. Exactly. I knew you were going there. Great movie. God great film. It. Beautiful movie. Should Listen. have gotten Best Picture. Oh, you, <laughs> I know you're joking now. Listen, he, here's the thing. We're specifically having consternation relative to that particular movie, Overboard, starring Kurt Russell and... Goldie Hawn. And Goldie Hawn, right. Mm -hmm. And I watched that movie as a kid and thought, oh, it's a great movie as a kid. And then recently, as as mo as recent as last year... Just six or eight months ago, it was on, like all the time on HBO. And Brittany, I would come in and she would be watching that particular film. Because anytime it's on, it needs to be watched. It's terrible. No, it's great. Listen, I know it really points to the fact that when you're a kid, you have fondness for certain things. And then you grow up and those things you realize we're very stupid. No. And that is one of the things. No, it's still a cute movie. It has a good message. It's super sweet. It's funny. It's endearing. You're just an a-hole. Well, that may be true, but it is wholly implausible. It's a terrible premise. Yes, that's and true. And it's, it's put together... It's ridiculous in all, in all things. It's stupid. No, I mean there's there's great cinematography. There's great special effects. <laughs> not goddamn. Not even not even talking about the fact that it was fraud, criminal behavior. He was raping her if he was having sex with her. Yeah, let's not. I mean, you don't need to take it so seriously. Yeah, <laughs> you do. No, I, I mean it's <laughs> it's a romantic love story. I mean, he she eventually liked to have sex with him. So that's that's mm, what matters. Right, right. I'm kidding. 
I, I need my own disclaimer right now. That's what I need. Uh, no, but it's, I get what you're saying. And yes, if you, if you really think hard about the movie, it's probably not that great. But if you don't think hard about the movie, then it's really, really good. Yeah, well, the same could be said of Barney. Or turd sandwich shows like that. I've never seen Barney, so I wouldn't. Oh, really? I wouldn't know. I love you. You love me. Yes, I've never seen Barney. I don't believe that. I have never seen Barney. All right. Moving on, everybody. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So CPAC in Washington D.C., which is the uh, the the ultra conservative political conference in Washington D.C. that's held every year, it is kind of the the campfire kumbaya for the the far far right. And last year, American Atheists, the organization which is um, headed up by by David Silverman, they had purchased. Um, a booth for the conference. And when news got out about it, they they were promptly told that they needed to to uh, they would give their money back and they weren't welcome because they uh, the, the the organizers of the the conference weren't appreciative of the American atheists tone mm. is the way I understand it. What does that mean? Tone? I don't know. I think it's just they don't agree with their message or right so, right. So last year they were not invited. This year, however, um, which I believe to be a a, a giant step forward, um, they were allowed in. In fact, there was an atheist speaker by the name of Jamila Bay. She would represent the the total anomaly relative to who she is. She is black. She is female. She is conservative and she's an atheist. All of those things are odd and don't really mesh together. But I guess when you put them in one particular package, it works very well. Anyway, she she gave a, about a seven or eight minute speech to, I would say, a lukewarm reception. There was several periods of sporadic golf clapping. And um, this is part of what she had to say. Today, I stand before you not just as a fellow conservative. I stand before you as a member of a growing Republican family that has inherited a new generation of potential leaders with millions of voters that we cannot afford to ignore. The law is change or die. And to grow with our changing family, we must embrace this future to maintain our value systems, value systems. And as Donald Rumsfeld put it best, we've got to prepare for the unknown. Over the past few years, I've had the opportunity to work with American atheists. More recently, I've become a very proud board member of this organization. And through this course, I've seen many of our youth, many of our peers, who, while different in worldview, strongly uphold the values of our conservative family. These people are an essential component of our growing electorate. We ignore them to our peril. I could not agree more with those sentiments. And prior to those comments, she she went through some numbers. Well, let me say this. The Republican Party has an optics issue right now. 
It's not just about what policy they choose to support. It's about what giant facets, giant segments of their political ideology or the the members who choose to believe in their particular ideology, um, you know, smaller government, uh, personal responsibility, these types of things economically, um, it's not only tied to social matters anymore. It's just not that way. And for the Republican Party to completely ignore a massive swath of voters is foolhardy, and it's going to ensure that Democrats are elected over and over and over. The Republican Party is going to have to grow. It's going to have to morph and change and evolve into a political mechanism that wins elections. And to do so, they're going to have to court atheists and non-affiliated younger you know, millennial voters. Right. And so we're starting to see a trend with the millennial conservatives. And millennials, by the way, are people that were born from uh, 81 to 96. Yeah. And with millennial conservatives, you're starting to see that on these typical like moral issues, they don't agree with their party. Just just so the record is reflecting correctly. Brittany did uh, air quotes yeah. with moral. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, gay marriage and marijuana legalization are two of the ones that I'm, I'm talking about specifically right now that I think religious conservatives are con- against those yeah, things. They consider those moral issues. Right. And yeah. for uh, Republican millennials, we have 58% that are in favor of gay marriage. 58% of Republican millennials. That's a huge number. 58, that's almost 60% of Republican millennials. That's not just millennials in general. That's people who identify as Republican. People who are, are, in my estimation, silly enough to identify with that particular party, they are for gay marriage. Right. That's that's huge. And this data is from 2014 from Pew Research. So this was a year... Right. This was a a year ago. I'm trying to read. And um, (laughs) so it's only grown since then, I would assume, because I think it's only going to continue to go that direction. But for marijuana legalization, 63% of millennial Republicans are in favor of marijuana legalization. Right. So that's another issue, another moral issue. Quote, unquote. Where Republicans are going to have to wake up because they need these millennials to win these elections. Absolutely. And they're going to have to kind of change with them in order to win over those those votes well it really goes to show the the lack of compromise the lack of ability to bend and 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 bow to the the change in 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 forces and the change of opinions in the political landscape the republican party has been largely unable to evolve and to grow with the changing times and they're going to have to do so or they are going to make themselves completely irrelevant in the coming race. So I really hope, and look, having said what I just said, I and what I said previously, I really think that them allowing American atheists to have a presence at the conference is a big deal. It is a step forward. It may not sound like that big a deal, but when you think about the people with whom we're dealing, it is a big deal. I also, on a sec, on a side note, I would like to say that Personally, I think it's great because I am more conservative than I am liberal. And I, I, although I'm a little older than a millennial, 
I do believe gay marriage is obviously should be legal. I believe marijuana, the prohibition of marijuana is ridiculous. So I'm with them and I'm also an atheist. So it's, I'm, I'm, I'm right with them. I, I don't know that I could ever join back into the ranks of the Republican Party. Um, I think I'm too far gone, but it's nice to see. Well, and I'm also curious what percentage of these 58% millennials that said they're in favor of gay marriage are also religious and would say yeah. that they are Christian. And maybe I'll dig into that right. and let well, everybody know. Well, here's the deal. Um, and this is related, but Jeb Bush, um, he just announced his campaign staff. And he's hired on some some more liberal people who are on the side of the gay marriage issue. People who have actively campaigned and actively been involved in drafting legislation and being involved in court cases. And he has given them and appointed them and hired them for prominent posts within his, uh, his campaign staff. Right. And people are thinking that this is going to kind of signal, it's like a sign that Bush is going to position himself as the gay friendly Republican in the 2016 field. So there's a BuzzFeed article that talks about when Bush officially launches his presidential bid later this year, he will likely do so with a campaign manager who has urged the Republican Party to adopt a pro-gay agenda. A chief strategist who signed a Supreme Court amicus brief arguing for gay marriage equality in California, a longtime advisor who once encouraged her minister to stick to his guns in preaching equality for same-sex couples, and a communications director who is openly gay. Wow. That's a big deal. Now, this could mean one of one of many things. This doesn't have to mean that he's going to take a a pro gay pro gay marriage uh, stance. Which, if I'm prognosticating here, I would say he's not going to. Um, wow. How, I, I just I don't think he's going to. However, this does kind of send a, a message. But you look, it's the same thing as Obama. Right. Didn't support gay marriage. Was openly against gay marriage. He right. Was, he just didn't ignore the issue. He said, no, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, and that's what it should be. Right. And it wasn't until his vice president, Joe Biden, opened up his mouth mm -hmm. in mid-2012 that he changed his position right before uh, his last presidential election. So the liberals who are going to be against Jeb Bush because of this... They need to have a little bit longer memory and remember that their guy did the exact same thing. Well, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago when I think it was David Axelrod who came out and said that Barack Obama at one point said to him that he hates bullshitting, quote unquote. He's about not the, very good at it. Or yeah, something. about the gay marriage issue, which, you know, is still a problem because I, I would assume maybe in Jeb Bush's heart <laughs> that he is not against gay marriage, but right. he needs to be against gay marriage in order to get his votes from his party, which it just is a bummer that well, politics has to operate like this. That's exactly right. And, and it's it's the, the stark reality in which we live. It's a pain in the ass and it's a bummer, but it's the reality. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, my guess is that he will not come out right away at all and say I'm against or I'm for gay marriage, but the fact that he's putting openly gay people in positions of leadership on his campaign, um, it speaks to something. I, what exactly, I don't know, but it certainly speaks uh, to something. So, so, so back to CPAC, I wanted to talk about Jeb Bush before I played this clip, but 
Laura Ingram, who is second second only witchy. How would you how would you say it? She's the second only to the witch Ann Coulter. Yeah, she she's second place in witchiness only to Ann Coulter. How about that? Yeah, see, I knew who you were going to compare her to, <laughs> so that was impressive. Yeah, uh, she apparently thinks she's a fucking stand-up comic. She thinks she's so funny. She's not. But she is apparently very opposed to the to the candidacy of Jeb Bush, and did so by telling this little funny anecdote uh you know i was thinking about this uh this race for the presidency in 2016 and and i know you know some of you guys are uh, you know i know uh, jeb bush is about to you know speak he's going to have a q a with my friend sean hannity i'm looking forward to that um but thinking about this for a moment some people how many how many of you in the room are skeptical of a bush uh, another bush term Wow. Yeah, these same people voted well, for him guys, twice. I, I think you have to look on the bright side, okay? Look, we got a long way to go. It's anybody's nomination. Don't let anyone tell you there's a coronation at hand. But I think you have to look on the bright side. I think Jeb could really explode the gender gap. And let me tell you how. I know you guys are like, how is Laura saying this? I think women could actually turn out in droves for Jeb Bush. I mean, what woman doesn't like a man who gives her a blank check at Tiffany's? I mean, diamonds are a girl's best friend. That would be a great theme song for Jeb Bush. Why not? And think about it. There's another way of looking at this. We could dispense with this whole nomination process altogether. Just get, I mean, it's kind of inconvenient running for president. We have to do this dog and pony show. We do all these debates. Why don't we just, why don't we just call it quits? And Jeb and Hillary can run on the same ticket. I mean, go through the list of things they agree on. Common Core, amnesty, giving Obama fast-track trade authority, a lot of new trade deals with China, the surveillance culture. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm designing the bumper sticker. It could be Klush. 2016, what difference does it make? Well, at least you know she's writing her own jokes because that is fucking terrible. Yeah, I think even she was having a difficult time conjuring the motivation to say what she was about to say. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Just, just it hurt. It, it was painful for me to sit and listen and watch that. I can't imagine being up there on stage knowing that you're just, just a stinky, stinky turd. Ugh. Terrible. So Nate Silver and the folks over at 538.com have compared Hillary Clinton to George W. Bush. Right. The headline of the article says Hillary Clinton is the George W. Bush of 2016. What? Right, right. <laughs> so they give their reasons for saying this. They say one reason is the lack of competition. George W. Bush, like Clinton, was so formidable in 1999 and 2000 that few top-tier candidates were in the race to challenge him by the time actual voting began. By the Iowa caucus, Bush, Bush faced only two Republicans who held elected office at that time, Orrin Hatch and John McCain. Mm -hmm. Both Western Republicans. That that was there was no need for that little 
extra. I just thought I'd throw it out there. All right. Now we know a lot about them. Yeah, right. Utah and Arizona, everybody. And another reason is the invisible primary. One reason that George W. Bush didn't have much competition, and it looks like Clinton won't either, is that he locked up support from the party elite. The candidate who wins the competition for establishment endorsements and support usually wins the nomination. That is what matters. That and money are what matters. And the next guy we're going to talk about, Scott Walker, is under a lot of fire right now. In fact, I've, I've heard from listeners who wanted us to talk about this. And we're going to talk about it, but just not in the way that they think we would. Um, Scott Walker is under fire right now because, or he was under fire, because Jezebel, the, the consummate professional journalism, um, the stalwart members of that community, <laughs> they wrote an article about him wanting to take out responsibility to report sexual assault at the University of Wisconsin. They wanted to take it out of a funding bill. And they've since had to retract their story. The Daily Beast has retracted an article from one of its college columnists that claimed that Wisconsin governor's budget would cut sexual assault reporting from the state's universities. The Post, published Friday, cited a report from Jezebel that wrongly interpreted a section of the state budget to mean that all sexual assault reporting requirements were to get cut altogether. In fact, the University of Wisconsin system requested the deletion of the requirements to get rid of redundancy as it already provides similar information to the federal government. UV system spokeswoman Alex Hummel told the Associated Press on Friday. Yeah, so that's the key part here is that the University of Wisconsin itself approached the governor's office and said, hey, we want to take this out because we are already... We are already required under what's called the Cleary Act to report sexual assault and also other crimes on our campus. The Cleary Act was a piece of legislation that was enacted um, that talks about any any public institution uh, of learning that gets financial aid programs or participates in financial aid programs that they need to disclose information about crime on their respective campuses. So the University of Wisconsin didn't want this uh, in the in the spending bill, the state spending bill, because it would have doubled their work. They're already required to report. It would have ha re required them to report to a second agency, and it's just it's redundant. It, it didn't need to happen. So taking it out isn't a sign of him being pro-sexual assault or uh, tone deaf to the issues of sexual assault on campus. It was the request of the particular university. Now, listen, I don't know much about Scott Walker, and I'm not taken up for Scott Walker, but I want Scott Walker to hang himself on facts with truths. I don't want to manufacture bullshit against him and have that be what his downfall is, which I feel is what Jezebel wants. Jezebel doesn't, they don't care about what the truth is. They don't care about what the facts are. All they care about is advancing their particular ideology, and that's a problem. And furthermore, I would think that you, the audience, they, you would want that too. You would want the truth, the facts to, to, to shine through, whether they be good or bad, and have those be um, what decisions like him not running or running are based on. 
Well, and a lot of times I think when this kind of stuff happens, people don't just think logically about it. They go into their corner and want to protect their people, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or they want to go against the opposing party and, and do whatever it takes to discredit them. But when you hear this story, you think, okay, here's Scott Walker. He wants to run for president. He obviously wouldn't do something this stupid because this is not going to look good to the electorate. So why would someone do this? And then you start thinking about that. And well, here we have it was a mistake. So that's why when you see a headline from Jezebel that says something and it seems like, huh, maybe this is too good to be true because this doesn't really seem realistic. Like something that someone who's trying to win over a bunch of people would do. Right. Maybe think about it again. Well, here's the look into it a little. Here's the thing. Uh, Jezebel, I would add, I don't know how you feel about this, Brittany, but I would add Jezebel to our ever growing list of uh, unreliable sources. Oh, right. I would never, I don't know. I I would consider them, I would go to Infowars or HighTimes.com before I would go to Jezebel for something with accuracy. Okay, I would not do that, but. Uh, I would not do that, but getting called out, everybody. Yeah, but um, I get your point. Yeah, a little excessive on the point, but <laughs> but I get it. Well, I'm, it's hyperbole. Yes, I traffic in hyperbole. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. So out of the democracy segment, but staying in the geographical area and also in the area of institutions of higher learning, the University of Minnesota this week made an odd made an odd uh, change in their policy related to crime reporting. And I, it baffles me. After a wave of student-led protests, of course, including one earlier this month in which protesters staged a sit-in in the president's office, University of Minnesota officials have agreed to end their policy of always publishing the race of suspects in campus crime alerts. From now on, the bulletins triggered by serious crimes like robbery and aggravated assault will only include the suspect's description, quote, when there is sufficient detail that would help identify a specific individual or group. That is ridiculous. So what they're doing is if it's a thin six foot tall white male with a red hat and a tat and a tattoo on his face, they're going to leave out white male. Right. Well, that that's a problem. Well, it's a defining characteristic. Well, it's... Listen, I, I worked in a business, and I worked alongside a black guy. And people would come in, and they would want to talk to Phil. That was his name. And they wouldn't remember his name. Oh, I need to talk to duh, 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 the, the guy. Yeah, um, he has some stuff for me. I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of guys here. Uh, could you describe him? Um, yeah, he's tall. Um, he's got kind of a, a beard... Um, and I could tell because of the way they're hemming and hawing, I'd be like, yeah, is he black? Uh, uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can say he's black. Phil knows he's black. And it it would, the search for who they were talking about would have ended right there. Yeah. A black guy about six foot tall. Oh yeah. It's Phil. That's not offensive to identify someone by their race is not racist. It's racial. It's dealing with race. If someone's to describe me as a six foot three white ginger, I'm not going to be offended. And 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 I know they would say, "Oh, you're but you're you're you got white privilege and blah blah blah." I don't believe that has anything to do with this. 
If you're a suspect in a crime, as much information needs to be out there about you as possible to get you apprehended. Right. I mean, let's say that there's a suspect who's an, of average height, doesn't really have anything else that could really identify them, their average height, average weight. Right. Um, you need to know what the person looks like. You need to know what right. their race is. Right, right. I mean, it's going to help you figure out who it is. It's almost like, okay, well, you know, we need to change the way that we alert people to the license plates when there's a missing child. Right. Like, we're so, going to... Well, it's Look at it this way. It's like a, it's like a search engine. If you type in brown dogs and or just dogs and the search engine is going to yeah you know what you need to narrow your search results because we've got five million results here right or you need to s- narrow your search criteria right okay um dogs who are brown okay now it's not five million anymore now we've got a million search results you need right. to narrow it more okay uh brown dogs with three legs Okay, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. It's just narrowing the search results. Right. It's not racism. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. Unless you're saying that the suspect is black when he's actually Chinese. You, you know what I mean? I mean, then we've got a problem. But if you're if you're accurately describing the suspect, there isn't a problem. So get your shit together, University of Minnesota. Come on. Get with it. In other news, there is a new United Nations report uh, about the Vatican and child rape. Shocker. The United Nations heavily criticized the Vatican on Wednesday for what it said was a systematic adoption of policies allowing priests to rape and sexually abuse tens of thousands of children. The devastating report published by the UN Committee on the Rights of a Child said the Vatican must, quote, immediately remove all known or suspected child abusers within the clergy. It said that the Holy See had, quote, systematically placed preservation of the reputation of the church and the alleged offender over the protection of child victims. In response, the Vatican said in a statement published on its website that some points made in the report were, quote, an attempt to interfere with Catholic Church teaching. Again, uh, it just continues right. and continues and continues. So, so again, it's we're going to save face at the expense of... Children who have been brutally raped by men in in their who are in in positions of power above them, by men who who are who are have the the holy trust, the sacred trust of their congregation, who are brutally raping children. Right. Well, the Vatican said it would examine the report thoroughly and reiterated its commitment to defending and protecting child rights in accordance with the UN guidelines, and. The, quote, moral and religious values offered by Catholic doctrine. No. Will you stop? Yeah. Will you stop? Please. Saying, this is the listen, problem. It's saying it. It's, it's, it's fucking lip service is all it is. It, that's all it is. It's them saying it. Oh, yeah. We hold the, 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 the sacred uh, duty of the priesthood to be, oh, we, it's so important. They could say it all day long, but, you know. Put your money where your mouth is and protect children. Well, what I am unhappy about is that their response to the report is that it's an attempt to interfere with Catholic Church teaching. And then they say that they are going to reiterate their commitment to be in accordance with the UN guidelines and the moral and religious values offered by Catholic doctrine. No, that's part of the problem. That's what the problem is. Oh, yeah. Is you wanting to protect the church and stick to the church doctrine. 
the church doctrine is the problem. It's, this is what created the right. systematic adoption of policies allowing priests to be protected. That's right. The church doctrine is to protect the church at all costs. So I don't know. Quit quit saying that in response to these numerous reports that keep coming forward that saying, hey, you're you're continuing to do this wrong. Where's where's the 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 lauded and loved hippy dippy pope? Where's he in all this? Oh, he's nowhere to be found. It's only when he gets to talk about how he washes poor people's feet or, well, I'm not gay. Uh, but, uh, how, who am I to judge? Where is he when this kind of thing happens? He needs to be the face of the church, not some 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 report that gets released from some office, some bu- bureaucrat. Right. And the report also has reiterated what we've known for a long time, that well-known child sexual abusers have been transferred from parish to parish or to other countries in an attempt to cover up crimes. Due to a code of silence imposed on all members of the clergy under, under penalty of excommunication, cases of child sexual abuse have hardly ever been reported to the law enforcement authorities in the countries where such crimes occurred. Not a shocker. It's something we've talked about for uh, it seems far too long, not just on this show, but in life in general, far too many cases. And when the UN report talks about tens of thousands of victims of brutal rape, it is tens of thousands of children worldwide who have been systematically raped and abused by an organization that should be held in high esteem and high trust by virtue of the fact that they are a religion, quote unquote. They are, oh, the Holy See. They, you know, goddamn. When is this going to stop? The UN report also denounced the Holy See for its attitudes toward homosexuality, contraception, and abortion, which I thought was surprising. Just kind of throwing it in. Yeah. Just like, just <laughs> oh, a footnote. While, while we're at it. <laughs> yeah. Just want to let you know this is all outdated. So, right. Stop being dicks, you guys. So, coming back stateside. Apparently, a cafe in Berkeley, California, is is kind of a ground zero for the measles. It, it, someone who has uh, been a confirmed case and carrier of the measles has uh, been frequenting this cafe and putting all of its patrons at risk. Health officials are on high alert after an adult with measles went to a Berkeley restaurant last Friday. As the number of cases in the California-centered measles outbreak climbed to at least 156 patients across eight states, Canada and Mexico. Wow. Those who went to the La Mediterrane restaurant in Berkeley between 6.45 and 10 p.m. on February 20th could have been exposed to the measles. Quote, the risk is very slight for those who have received the recommended two doses of the vaccine, health officials said. Of course, that's the deadly vaccine that, that no one should be getting. Right, so right. Well, it's kind of a toss up. Here's the deal. It's as we've talked about on the show, it seems ad nauseum. If you are not vaccinated against this scourge and you come in contact with someone who has it, you have a 90 percent I think it's 90 or 92 percent chance of contracting this illness. Who these people are irresponsible, wholly irresponsible. So I went to get tested. You did. We talked about that a couple a week ago or so. Yes, and I am inoculated. You are inoculated. Yes. So I'm very happy about that, and now I'm I can relax when someone that I'm in an elevator with sneezes or coughs. You won't relax. You'll still be a germaphobe. Yeah, I'll hold my breath until I get off. (laughs) But I'll feel a little better about it. Well, you're joining those of us who are responsible 
who have been inoculated and, and are in no way, shape, or form going to be responsible for spreading the scourge of measles, mumps, and rubella. Right. And I just wanted to make sure. I, I had a hunch that I was vaccinated, but right. I didn't know for sure. Well, so I do want to mention. You didn't have the documentation. Right. Well, I had, you know, I looked in my baby book. That's that's actually where they tell you to go look, which is interesting. I wouldn't have a baby book. And so I went to look in my baby book and I only had two shots written down with two dates. Po- and polio and. Uh, I think uh, whooping cough. The no, D- that's right. Or no, that's right. Whooping cough. The DPT shot, I think is what it is. I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, I had those two and I thought, well, that's weird. Why would my mom only get me the polio and DPT shot? Like that's, you know, you'd think that she would get all of them. Right. And this was this was long before the the autism craziness, you know, all of the the the, the Jenny McCarthy hysteria. You know, th- th- that it was long before that. So, you know, th- th- there would have been no reason for your mom not to. Well, I don't know, because she she became a vaccine weirdo with my my two younger sisters. So that was like the mid 90s. Well, so it was on the you were on the cusp of people being concerned about vaccines. I guess so. I do. I do wonder when it came on full force. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, oddly enough and funny enough, uh, Jimmy Kimmel this week did a little segment on on vaccines and had some doctors on the show in, in a very funny segment. And uh, I'm going to play a little bit of it for you. There's another area in which I, I, I feel like we're headed in the wrong direction. I want to get serious for a minute, if I could, because I've been hearing a lot of talk lately. And I don't know if this is more prevalent in uh, L.A. than other places, but I feel like it probably is. But there's a small but still sizable group of people who are choosing not to vaccinate their children. Here in L.A., there are schools in which 20% of the students aren't vaccinated because uh, parents here are more scared of gluten than they are of smallpox. (laughs) And as a result, we now have measles again. We've got measles. I want to say something about it. I know if you're one of these anti-vaccine people, you probably aren't going to take medical advice from a talk show host, and I don't expect you to i wouldn't either but i would expect you to take medical advice from almost every doctor in the world (laughs) see the thing about doctors is they didn't learn about the human body from their friend's facebook page they went to (laughs) medical school where they studied all sorts of amazing things like how to magically prevent children from contracting horrible diseases by giving them a little shot you know those little shots of botox which is botulism by the way You get in your face to make your head look smooth and your eyes look crazy? A little shot like that and poof, polio is gone. But some people do not buy into that because they did a Google search and Jenny McCarthy popped up and she had clothes on. So they listened to what she had to say and decided not to vaccinate their kids. And by the way, I want to say, this would all be okay if your kids were the only ones affected. They're your kids, but they're not. Because unvaccinated kids put all children in danger, especially babies who are too young to get the vaccination shot. But, of course, that's according to doctors. So, you know, (laughs) take that with a grain of salt. Now, some people are saying kids who aren't vaccinated shouldn't be allowed to go to school or daycare or uh, go to public places. But I don't. Here's where I think it should go. If you are one of those people who knows more than doctors, that's fine. No vaccinations. But you're not allowed to go to the doctor anymore. Okay. Why would you even want to go to a doctor who knows less than you do? So 
if you fall and you cut your head open, you will not be admitted to the emergency room. <laughs> Stay at home, find that sewing kit you stole from the Marriott, and stitch it up yourself, Doc. And the doctor will see you never. Oh, by the way, you should also let your kids smoke. Why wouldn't you? The only people who say not to are doctors, and they don't know. So I feel like this is starting to snowball. So I loved this, and oh, yeah. it reminded me of a, a popular column that was going around a couple months ago that was written by a doctor, and they were very frustrated and kind of sharing that same sentiment of, why are you coming to me for other things when you won't listen to me about vaccines? Right. Like, obviously, I'm not qualified enough to give you medical advice because you're not believing some of the things I say. So then why are you coming to me at all? Well, it's very funny when when you um the people that you that, that you hear, you know, the um I've read too many books. The Christian Cavalieri's of the world and they do say this. I've read too many books. They talk about how much research they've done. And it's well, no, I've done a lot of research. I oh, you I've so just so many books that I've read and so many look you, you're not reading the right stuff. You're going to, you know, what are the websites? We need. We, I really want a list. I want. <laughs> I want a whiteboard in here where we we tabulate the different sites that are not credible. Realpharmacy.com with an F. Yeah. Pharmacy. Yeah, right. The, is one of them. That, Natural news. That's not research because you read a couple conspiracy theory websites. That is not research. That does not constitute reading too many books well i've even seen people on the internet in these vaccine discussions like copy and paste an abstract that they saw like from a science website right but when you go to a science website and you you aren't a student or something you have to pay like 70 80 over 100 dollars to get access to the full pdf of a study right but if you are a student you have access to all of those those libraries so you can get all of that literature and you can't just read an abstract from a study and know what's going on within that study. I mean, the abstract really tells you just the results. They don't tell you the limitations, like the statistical analysis that was used, like very important things that you need to know Absolutely. to assess whether or not it's a good study or not. And so a lot of people are just reading things on the internet and becoming many experts or what they think to be their, themselves as many experts. Well, the, the, the problem also lies in the fact that a lot of people I've that I interact with, whether it be on Facebook or even in re in real time, they don't know what a fact is. They don't know that there is a difference between a fact and opinion. Just because you hold an opinion and you read some conspiracy website doesn't mean what you're saying is fact or based on fact. You don't have science a scientific consensus that is backing you up and backing your opinion up. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely strange. I always talk about people like just like having a thought in their head and then going with that as though it's a factual thing, like it's just a spontaneous thought oh, that yeah. occurs. Yeah, and I then, know the time. And it just, you have to kind of, if you're going to be putting things out there and you're going to be getting challenged, you have to be able to, you know, understand your own argument. Well, it's also understand, sorry, understand your own limitations. You know, if you are not a scientist and you don't have a science background, you are typically not science literate and you need to defer to the experts and what they have found through voluminous amounts of research. Yeah. And I mean, some could say that's an argument from authority, but it's 
I don't consider it to be because when you say, listen to these experts, I mean, they really are experts. When you're talking about doctors who have spent almost a decade in school learning about how the human body works, learning right. about science, learning how to read scientific literature, where do you get that experience? You can't just spontaneously have that experience or ability. You have to learn. Right. It's also the fact that there is there is peer review within the scientific community, which takes out the whole uh, argument to authority because it's peer reviewed. It's not just consensus or it's not just, oh, a lot of people believe this. It's a lot of people believe this because of something that is verifiable. Right. So so moving on. Um, odd, very weird. A Canadian judge uh, this last week has refused to hear a case from a woman because she was wearing a hijab, which is the a Muslim scarf, the headscarf. Not a burqa, not the niqab, not the the whole meal deal. She wasn't in her in her in her ghost outfit. She was in just the headscarf and he said she wasn't dressed properly or something. Isn't that right? Right. He refused to hear this the case this week of a single mother trying to retrieve her car because the woman would not remove her Muslim headscarf. Quote, in my opinion, you are not suitably dressed. Decorum is important. Hats and sunglasses, for example, are not allowed. And I don't see why scarves on the head would be. The same rules need to be applied to everyone. The single mother testified that she was on welfare and the mother of three sons. She was trying to get her car back, which had been seized by the Provincial Automobile Insurance Board after one of her sons was caught driving it with a suspended license. She told the judge she needed the car to provide for her family. Quote, I'm facing money problems, she said. But the judge refused to hear the merits of the case, citing a regulation governing court decorum that states simply, quote, any person appearing before the court must be suitably dressed. Uh, I think this judge is a dick. I think that this is lame. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it works in Canada, but in the United States, you do have the freedom of religion, and she is, she is practicing her religion, and just, just by being in her religious, her religiously as she, uh, uh, she feels it uh, required garb, it, it's not disrespect to the court. I could see if she had the whole ghost suit on. And she wanted to, to, to be there without her face showing. I could see that. Well, but just the scarf. That's kind of what I think too. Because when she says, you know, hats and sunglasses aren't allowed. Well, I, I can understand why hats wouldn't be allowed because you have someone coming in with like a backwards hat, well, or it, it, you know, they just don't sure. look like they are dressed appropriately. And then sunglasses, obviously, you can't even go to into a bank with sunglasses on. I mean, you're not supposed right. to wear sunglasses in buildings unless you're a douche so are they going to kick out a guy with a yarmulke on right she wasn't covering her face and and she's not wearing a scarf that like is ragged or something or she doesn't look appropriate she's dressed how she would be dressed in other places and it's not as though it was like sloppy she still looked put together and isn't that what you need to be for court you need to look professional right it's showing deference to the court and if you're if you're being disrespectful if her hijab said fuck you on it then I would say, yeah, I get that off. But it doesn't. It's just just the white scarf or just the whatever color scarf to cover her hair because, you know, Brittany, the creator of the universe is very concerned about women and whether their hair shows. Apparently, 
Apparently, the woman noted that her hijab was a religious requirement. In my opinion, the courtroom is a secular place and a secular space. There are no religious symbols in this room, not on the walls and not on the persons. I also think that's a little out of line. It's Well, is are they also going to require any cross necklace to be tucked in or not be worn at all? It just... It's a slippery slope, and listen, she's not being uh, intrusive in the practice of her faith. They need to not be such a dick. That's a good point you just made about the cross around the neck. I mean, that's a religious symbol. Thank would, you, Brittany. Thank you. Would she make someone put it, cover <laughs> it up, though? I mean, oh, it's a woman judge. Yes. Oh, well, I guess she's not a dick. She's women can be assholes. So she's just an asshole. I think women. <laughs> I think women can also be dicks. I think that's all right. Well, she's a dick. A big dick. All right. That's enough. That's enough. So staying kind of on the religious thing, um, sad time this last week, a, a an atheist blogger, an American uh, blogger who had dual citizenship between uh, Bangladesh and America, had, was, was brutally murdered on the streets um, in Bangladesh. And I mean, when I say brutally murdered, I mean... They, him, he was hacked to death by machetes, and his wife has for sure lost a finger, but is in but is in uh, critical condition in the hospital. So, so this guy is an atheist blogger, and he writes about um, not necessarily atheism specifically, but about secularism and wanting there to be a secular viewpoint in Bangladesh. And he was leaving a book fair, I believe, or a uh, a a book bazaar, and was in a in a taxi, one of the the little bike taxis, when a group of men stopped them and attacked them with machetes, murdering him on the street. And this is this is terrible, and it goes to one the, the radical nature of those in religion, but it also goes to the level of distrust for atheists and disdain for atheists around the globe, not just here in America, where we are the the least trusted group. People tr- trust rapists and and other abhorrent individuals like that before they trust atheists in in America. So, it's if that's going on here in America, I can't imagine the climate and what it's like elsewhere in the developing and more religious, uh, extremely religious world like Bangladesh. Well, he's a Bangladesh-born engineer who was living in the United States and rose to prominence with his books on philosophy, scientific thought, and human rights issues. He had come to Bangladesh to attend a book fair as two of his books came out in the fair. And earlier in 2014, an online bookstore had stopped selling his books after he was accused of defaming Islam and the Prophet Muhammad and promoting atheism. So obviously he's received, you know, death threats on his Facebook page. And ever since he started being prominent about his beliefs, he started receiving death threats. And obviously someone carried that out. Terrible. So I, you know, I feel for his family. I certainly feel for his wife and I hope she, uh, I hope she gets better quick. Um, What a terrible, terrible thing. So speaking of terrible things, not quite on the scale but Hindu monks recently have asked to be relieved of a burden. And, you know, we don't like people to have burdens and to be burdened and weighted down with, with terrible weights. What is this particular burden, Brittany, that they want to be relieved of? 
Well, Jerry Coyne posted a letter that he was given when he was flying on an airline. And this is on his blog, Why Evolution is True. And he says, here's a letter that came into my hands. It is given out to the airlines when these Hindu monks check in for their flights and request special treatment on the grounds of their faith. That treatment involves not sitting next to women or girls, I suppose, and not speaking to them directly, nor are the monks to be spoken to by female flight attendants, except through an intermediary male passenger. Wow. Wow. And so this is the letter. It says, to whom it may concern, this is a request to facilitate special requirements for Hindu monks from India who will be flying with us today. The monks slash nuns of this faith observe lifelong celibacy as a part of a spiritual discipline which restricts them from verbal and physical contact with the opposite gender. To safeguard these vows, I politely request that your esteemed airline please arrange for the following. One, they are allowed to pre-board. Right, come on. Two, they are assigned seats together with a male passenger sitting next to them in the aisle seat. Hmm. So they get an aisle seat. Three, so they get to board early and they get an aisle seat. This sounds like a whole bunch of BS to me. No. (laughs) Okay, three, female flight attendants avoid verbal and physical contact except in the case of an emergency. Okay, and then parenthetically, it says they are well versed in the flight protocol and emergency procedure. So I guess that's to kind of like let you know if there is an emergency, they'll know what's going on. Right. So number four, they will not require any in-flight service. So I'm assuming don't offer it to them. Right. Number five, should there be a need for communication, they will do so through any male passenger. So any male they can speak through, but they won't talk to a woman. Uh, So let me tell you. I wouldn't participate in this. Hey, would you tell her? Fuck you. You tell her yourself. You're a grown man, dickhole. Right. And then six, provide the accompanying helper with a gate pass to escort them up to the flight terminal gate. Thank you for your kind consideration and cooperation. Yours truly, Vikram Patel, president. Nope. Not a chance. Total total and complete bullshit. Listen, if you required this much this much special treatment because of your your ridiculous mythology, then you should fly private. You should charter a jet for you and your monk buddies and not burden us, the regular public, with your bullshit. Because right. it's not just the burden on them. They're they're burdening everyone else with their particular flavor of religion. Right. And Jerry Coyne goes on to say, to me, this letter requests unconscionable sex discrimination and the airline should refuse to honor any of these requests, including that for pre-boarding. Why do they need to get on the plane before anyone else? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Seriously, why is that? (laughs) Are they claiming that that's a part of their faith as well? They need to be on the plane first? Like, Well, here's the other thing is if they're requesting aisle seats, listen, if when I sit on the aisle and normally I do because I'm a big guy and I hurt myself when I was in in the Marine Corps. Jesse was a Marine, everybody. <laughs> um, and I, I like having an aisle seat because I get very stiff in, in my joints, not not in other places. That would be weird on a plane. And uh, it's happened before, though, probably. <laughs> we don't know. There's something really erotic about being breathing other people's germs that are being filtered in. <laughs> mm, you know. Real good. Real good. So when I'm on the aisle, though, 
and I'm a bigger guy. I'm sure I'm bigger than these little Hindu dudes. Uh, I get bumped by every goddamn person that walks next to me in the aisle. My shoulders being touched, which maybe will cause my arousal, you know. Mm. So maybe that's what they're worried about. Don't bump into me. But it's weird that they want to be on the aisle when they're most assuredly going to be touched by the ass of the flight attendant. I would purposefully rub my ass. Oh, no, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. I would. Uh, what would you do in the situation, though? I mean, if they hand you this letter and nope. say, listen, these are they're flying on this plane. Well, if you're asking me specifically, the answer would be no. Handle your own affairs, if I was to put it in Brittany Page terms. So what would you do, though? You would just, like, get on another flight? You would let them inconvenience you and go and get on another flight? No. Because I'm assuming... No, I would tell them to fuck off. I'm not going to deal with your bullshit. So then Don't what would happen? I'm trying to figure out what would happen if you did that. Would the airline have to then say, okay, sorry, monks, there's people that won't agree to these requirements that we've tried to pass out. Yeah. I mean, I just wonder the logistics of, because this obviously says it's a request. This is a request to facilitate special treatment. So it's just that. Listen, it's not a, a, a breastfeeding woman who has a baby with her who who needs to feed her child and she feels uncomfortable or I would feel uncomfortable. I've had that happen before. It's not a situation like that. It's a dude who is choosing to practice mythology and I have to be inconvenienced by his mythology. Uh, no, I refuse. I wonder if anyone that's listening has had a similar experience where they've been handed something yeah. and, and asked to accommodate something on a plane. Anything. It doesn't have to be religious. I'm just curious if anything like that's ever happened. That would be a great question for the audience. If you have, call and leave a fewer than three minute voicemail at 657 464-7609 or of course you can record yourself on your smartphone and email it to idoubtit at dollamore.com so if you are a a fan of the news like oh yeah go ahead news <laughs> I'm so trained to do it like Brittany Page and I are um, you would know that this week the the British and, and American intelligence agencies have figured out who this Jihadi John, the guy who is appearing in the ISIL videos with the British accent, and he appears with the victims prior to their beheading or their murder, and they have figured out just by his voice and just by his eyes through the slit in his ghost uh, hat, in his what would you call that? I would not call it anything. That's your job to be <laughs> offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drag me down with you, by. Well, it's like a, it's like a balaclava, but it's uh, but it's more more terroristy than that. So, just through the slit in his little in his little hat, they are able to tell who he is. Right, and he just for more clarification, because I think there's a lot of people who don't know who Jihadi John is. He's in all the ISIL videos, the ones who, you know, are beheading people. That's he, right. he is in all of those videos. Every time they release a new video and you see the guy in the full black ninja suit. Um, ninja suit, huh? Now I'm teasing because it's not a religious thing. Okay, right? No, he's, it's, yeah, he's, it's a terrorist outfit. Yeah, he's trying to cover yeah. up who he is, yeah, right? that's right. Um, and he looks like a ninja. And it's overalls with like, with like a, 
like a balaclava that just shows the slit uh, over his eyes. Yeah, so it's like a vagina. It's like a vagina hat. You're just trying to make sure everyone knows that you know that word that you keep saying. Well, I was in the Marine Corps, Brittany. I'm talking about vagina. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so his name is Touche. His, uh, touche. His name is Muhammad Amwazi. Shocker! That guy's name is Muhammad. That is, I am shocked that his name is Muhammad. And he has, what a rare name for a Muslim. He has been described as a Briton from a well-to-do family who grew up in West London and graduated from college with a degree in computer programming. What? Right. Well, well, which is completely contrary and counter to the arguments being made by the likes of C.J. Werleman, Reza Aslan, and Glenn Greenwald. They would have you believe that these members of ISIS, the reason they're joining ISIS has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with their faith. It has nothing to do with Islam. It has everything to do with their socioeconomic status. Even the president himself, Barack Obama, has said that terrorism has something to do with a lack of opportunities and poverty. Obama said, quote, that we have to address grievances terrorists exploit, including economic grievances. And this is interesting because, you know, Mohammed Mwazi, Jihadi John from these videos, he went to the University of Westminster. He has been described as being raised in a middle-class neighborhood in London. He's obviously educated with a degree in computer programming. He has other opportunities is what this means. Right. And so there's this narrative that liberals, I'm sorry to use the term. Uh, your people. They're I, your people. I know. And Brittany. Brittany. They're your people. Yeah. And <laughs> they are trying to spin this narrative around people who are joining ISIL as though it's a poverty situation or it's a lack of opportunities. But in reality, a lot of these people are educated. Well, here's the deal. It's not all or nothing on either side. It certainly is, I'm sure, a poverty issue. And these people, they feel disaffected. They feel disenfranchised in a certain way. But it's not just that. And because it's not just that, because it's also wealthy and well-educated individuals, that would lead you to believe, logically that should lead you to believe, that it has something to do with their faith, with their religion. Because even smart people, even people with high, high brain power, have faith in mythology. Many terrorists that they catch are doctors and lawyers and engineers, suicide bombers. It almost reminds me of uh, child molesters. You know, like when you... Yes, you, okay. <laughs> sorry. No, right when, on. When you see the how to catch a predator thing. Oh, and, right. And, and there's doctors showing up in scrubs. There's teachers showing up. I mean, it's these people that you're just you're wondering what the hell are you doing? You're throwing your entire life away. Right. What is going on? It's kind of the same thing. Like, whoa, you have to think there's something going on for these people to be like this. Listen, I'm never going to argue with you, Brittany Page, when you compare dirty, filthy terrorists to child molesters. I would never disagree with you. I agree. Terrorists are just like child okay, molesters. Okay, I feel like I've done something wrong <laughs> simply because... You're emphasizing this point. Oh, I need a disclaimer. Did I do something wrong? I need a disclaimer. 
views and opinions expressed Brittany by Page. Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany, Brittany Page, Jesse Dollarmore, who is a ah, far shit. superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. I need one. I need one when you say things like that, which I'm joking, obviously, isn't isn't controversial that terrorists are like child molesters. Well, I don't. You're I, not saying Muslims. You're saying terrorists. I don't. I really feel like I've done something wrong at this point. <laughs> I just what I was trying to say <laughs> is that it reminds Can you hear the me. No, Can you hear the grease? No, the, the, the squeaky wheels while she backpedals. I don't know why I'm trying to defend terrorists, but I just, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I'm Do you understand teasing. my point? Yes, I'm okay. Because you're being you. a dick, and I don't understand. Of course, okay, I am. All right, it's my role on the show. Okay, I'm just, I don't know. I'm teasing. I thought I made a great logical connection. Of course. <laughs> I'm Chris Hansen. Come on, sit, sit down over here. I'm Chris Hansen. I used to be able to do it really well, but now I can't figure it out. Yeah. Well, if it was planned, I could have pulled a clip, but it wasn't planned. He so. like he 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 elongates his words. Chris I'm Hansen. Chris Hansen. Child molester. <laughs> <laughs> he never says that on the show. I don't know why right. I said that. So Majid Nawaz. Who's a former extremist. A former extremist. Writing a book with Sam Harris right now. That's right. Well, go ahead. Take it over. Well, it, rather than you pepper in details, why don't you just say what you're going to say? That's I just good. had a fun time peppering stuff in, but now I'm done. That's that's all you had? Yeah, that was all the pepper that I had. <laughs> well, he, he calls that this victimhood narrative being put forward by people like Glenn Greenwald, C.J. Werleman, and the the ever... I'm actually quite a prominent Muslim thinker in the United States. Mm. Reza Aslan, uh, he takes issue with it. And he, having been an Islamist, an extremist himself, he, I would say, has a better outlook on what is causing this. That it is extreme Islam. It is the extremist movement within the religion, and it's not socioeconomic status of these individuals. You know, imagine it's interesting because there's obviously, and we've talked about a lot, and a lot of people have focused in the past on radicalization and other things that lead to it, you know, but poverty, lack of opportunities, a sense of humiliation. This guy wasn't poor. He went to college, had a degree in computers. I mean, it seems like there really are no boundaries anymore for somebody who actually may be attracted to this stuff. Well, yes, Anderson. I mean, I've written a piece tomorrow for one of the news national newspapers here, The Guardian, uh, comparing uh, Islamism to racism. And just like racism can affect anyone, whether they're educated, whether they're not educated, um, it's an idea that people seek to adopt as an excuse for their own insecurities. And Islamist ideology is the same. Let's not forget this guy not only graduated from the University of Westminster in London, um, but others who controlled the student union, not just the Islamic society, but the student union, in that university were affiliated with my own former organization, Hizbut Tahrir, which was the first group to popularize the notion of uh, re-establishing a caliphate. Uh, this idea of recreating an Islamic state affects uh, in a disproportionate way uh, the most highly educated Muslims born and raised in Britain. What, what is the appeal, though? I mean, you, you believe it's what? It's, it's sort of personality traits or per personality failings that are leading somebody to, to this in, in a case like him? He... Uh, probably at one stage try to work out whether he's British, whether he's Kuwaiti, or whether his Muslim identity supersedes both. And then that identity crisis combined with charismatic recruiters, uh, such as Caliph uh, Abu Bakr Baghdadi, the so-called Caliph, um, and then thirdly, the ideology 
uh, of Islamism works to kind of all come together and radicalize vulnerable young uh, Britons and, and disproportionately Western-born and raised Muslims to this ideology. So really, there's no, what more can be said? I mean, the guy was in, he was in this particular movement of Islam, a radicalist, an Islamist, an extremist, and now that he has come out of it and is still a Muslim, he's not an atheist. Right. Just, just because he's writing a book with with uh, Sam Harris doesn't mean he's an atheist. Right. It's a. I wouldn't. I want to use the word combative, but it's an argumentative book. They're 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 at odds about a lot of things in the book, according right. to Sam Harris. However, they do see eye to eye on certain things. This being one of them. Well, and I think what Sam Harris, Sam Harris has called him a personal hero. And I think where that comes from, and it's really good that they are able to have this relationship and kind of show it because I think it comes down to the fact that Nawaz is just very reasonable. He's a reasonable person. Yeah. And just because you're a religious person doesn't mean you can't be a reasonable person. He also sounds real smart with that British accent. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Real he's, smart. He's like a super smart Harry Potter character. I'm expecting him to throw a fucking spell on us at any moment. And maybe Harry he has. Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. Give me another one. Ronald Weasley. Oh, it's so good. Your British accent <laughs> is, it's just sumptuous. Yeah. It's luxurious. I can only do those names. <laughs> so, so good. All right. Taking care of biz. That's me. That's my segment. Yeah, taking care of biz, everybody. All right, so this week, Facebook is taking care of biz. Facebook often takes care of biz, but this is a new way that they're getting it done. Right, they are now announcing a suicide prevention feature. So if you spot a worrisome post from a Facebook friend, there will now be an option to report it. Facebook will then review the post, and if it agrees that there is reason for concern, the individual concerned will be presented with a prompt to get help the next time they log in. The page presented reads, Hi, a friend thinks you might be going through something difficult and asked us to look at your recent post. The user is then presented with the option of contacting a mental health expert, friend, or getting tips and support online. They also have a third option of skipping the support altogether. Facebook content strategist Holly Hetherington said, Often friends and family who are the observers in the situation don't know what to do. They're concerned, but they're worried about saying the wrong thing or somehow making it worse. Socially, mental illness and thoughts about suicide are just not something we talk about. And so I really like this because if you do see, sometimes we see posts from our friends that are a little concerning. I have, yeah. I have definitely seen that. And this is a way to kind of report it, I guess, but not report it in like a negative way, right? Where Facebook is just going to be alerted to it and give them some resources like, hey, someone cares about you. Are you going through something? Sure. Here are some tools that you could have to to do something about how you're feeling. And it will just give them an opportunity to kind of take that step and call somebody. Yeah. Well, here's here's a little bit more about it. Facebook has teamed up with academic researchers at the University of Washington, Forefront, and NowMattersNow.org, as well as the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and Save.org to enhance the support and resources that are available. 
The reality is that a lot of people are posting, you know, not just the pictures of their kid's birthday party. They are also posting things, you know, that they're, they're experiencing real pain and that they are suffering. And so social media provides an opportunity to engage people who are in that place of suffering and pain. So you reach out to that person and you express compassion and concern and you practice non-judgmentalness. Facebook is taking steps to make suicide prevention resources easily available to those who need them most by updating its support tools in collaboration with mental health experts. We've tried to lay a really strong academic uh, foundation where we talk to multiple clinicians, multiple suicide prevention experts, and have them vet the product that we've created to make sure that they feel comfortable with it. When someone reports a post they are concerned about to Facebook, a trained team reviews the content and may provide tools and resources to both the reporter and the person who wrote the troubling post. Tools range from connection to a free, confidential chat line with trained helpers at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline to a set of self-care tips that can help people take a break from their emotions, to a help guide and other resources for a friend to support someone who posted something about suicide. From the design side for the suicide prevention experience, um, it was really important to understand that people in these situations are in a lot of distress. Perhaps most important, from the get-go, people with what is called lived experience around suicide have been involved with developing these steps. And I can't tell you how much of a difference it made to put the messaging in front of attempt survivors and have them tell us what they thought of it. It's been amazing, actually. Um, I was able to go in and see and interact with the project. The best thing that um, a person can say in this situation, um, in my experience, is that they care, that they love you, and that they're concerned. And by working with the academic community and suicide survivors, Facebook has learned its connections have even more value in a suicide prevention context. One of the first things that Forefront taught us was that one of the things that really improves outcomes is increased social connectedness. That's what we do, is help people connect and help people interact. Connecting with a friend when they are struggling can make all the difference. I'm a fan of this. I think it's great. However, um, this particular program, an initiative by Facebook, is not without its critics. Dr. Roger Rhodes, a psychologist in Spartanburg, says the feature is a bad idea. Even though Facebook says they're working in conjunction with real mental health professionals, Rhodes says a key component in suicide prevention is at risk, trust. The whole industry is set up for confidentiality and to build a relationship, not to make it technical. In a blog post Wednesday, Facebook developers did clarify the site won't act as a substitute for mental health professionals, saying to users, quote, if someone on Facebook sees a direct threat of suicide, we ask that they contact their local emergency services immediately. Here's my issue with um, Dr. Rhodes or psychologist Rhodes. Is he sounds like he's not in touch with this particular technology. And he says that it's about the confidentiality and it's about the relationships and it's about trust. It's not about making it technical. The, the, the thing is is it's not like someone told you to their face, 
something suicidal or something related to suicide, and then you Facebooked them about it. Oh, hey, listen, remember when we talked earlier and you said you wanted to give me everything you owned and you were depressed and you couldn't handle this anymore? Well, I'm going to Facebook you now and talk to you about it. It's someone reaching out via Facebook. It's someone using technology and social media to reach out. So why not reach out back to them with that same technology? I don't I don't see the problem. Well, I just don't understand what he means when he says technical because in the field there are sometimes things called no harm contracts done with like a client that is at risk of suicide. Sure. So let's say you're with a client and they're expressing that they have thought about it, but they're not planning to do it. So you aren't going to admit them to a hospital. You can then give them a no harm contract and they will sign it and agree to not harm themselves by the next appointment without um, calling the counselor or calling a suicide hotline first. So that's a way to kind of, if you have these things and you're going to do it, you need to call me first. You need to call a suicide hotline or you need to call me. And then they sign it and you agree to this no harm contract. Yeah. That seems quite technical. Does it not? Sure. Yeah. Um, These things aren't always treated. I don't know how he wants them to be treated. It is a technical situation. Well, it, listen, it, it's, 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 I think it's great on Facebook, part, on the part of Facebook, this whole thing, because it's not like when someone flags a post and there was something recently with someone I know who said something very disturbing related to this kind of a thing and uh, people chased them down and got them to the hospital and it all took place, you know, in, in the wee hours of the morning, but there would have been nothing wrong with someone flagging it and then having an anonymous thing go to them saying, hey, we hear you're having trouble. Would you like to? It means someone cares. It doesn't mean it's not impersonal. It's not lacking in anonymity. It's not lacking in confidentiality. It's them making a choice. And it's also Facebook employees who are trained. They're not just going to have Hey, everybody, someone's committing suicide, and I'm down with my retainer in my mom's basement. It's not that. It's someone trained and who's being empathetic and really trying to intervene in something that could be a tragedy. Well, and I don't understand. I get maybe criticisms, I guess, but how could it be negative? Because let's say someone is having a difficult time, and then their post is quote-unquote reported or alerted, and then they receive this message that someone has alerted Facebook to this and here's some resources for them. They're not going to get so angry that this was reported that they're going to go kill themselves. Right. You know, someone who's going through something is going to look at that and be like, wow, you know, someone took the time to think that maybe I'm going through a hard time. Here's some resources for me. And sometimes, you know, when someone posts something emotional on Facebook and you don't know them that well, you don't really know if you should personally message message them and get involved. Right. I know I've I've had people post and I've personally messaged them and, you know, said, are you okay? And stuff like that. Sure. But I don't know if I would feel comfortable doing that with everybody because I'm just not close with some people and I don't want to like step on toes. Well, it's also, listen, Facebook, say what you will about this giant billion dollar corporation, multi-billion dollar corporation. I think that Mark Zuckerberg has proved himself to be a stalwart human being who is trying to do his best to make the world a better place. He's not just some crazy, maniacal billionaire trying to turn a profit. This guy has joined the ranks of Warren Buffett 
and Bill Gates of giving everything away of his crazy, wild fortune. He, he's, he's trying to do good by the world, and this is just an, more evidence of that. And that's why they're taking care of biz. Taking care of biz, everybody. Well, we'll leave you there. Listen, we love you. We appreciate you listening. We do two shows a week, and we appreciate every minute that you spend listening to us, helping us move the conversation forward, and interacting with us while we do so. 657-464-7609. That is the number. You can also record yourself on your smartphone and email it to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Don't forget to send in your promo telling us how much you hate the show and that you never listen. We are amassing a mountain of those and we love them. If you want to support the show other than by listening twice a week, you can visit dollamore.com and join the the ranks of those who have made a purchase on Amazon through our Amazon search bar. Every little bit goes a long way. If you're going to spend your money anyway, then why not help your favorite twice-weekly show filled with news, news. and ridiculous comments. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. I really feel like I've done something wrong at this point. <laughs>